the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. This winter is shaping up to be an incredible time to be a sports fan, and there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Home to incredible storytelling and relentless reporting. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, get a personalized feed of ad-free content that you simply cannot get anywhere else, including plenty on the college football debacle. The Big Ten, ten is changing course. They're going to make this work for Ohio State as it should be. Nothing should be right. Nothing should be as it used to be in 2020. Let's just make it all work as best as it can be for everybody. And Ohio State having a shot to be in the playoffs makes the most sense for really all of college football. You can obviously get this and plenty more at The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash track today for 40% off your first year subscription. Happy Wednesday evening. My name is Mike Gernetti. It's going to be an NBA heavy back end to this podcast. Scott Allen and a, a new friend to, to the track world, Keith Smith. This guy's, well, he's a baller. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Uh, he is an insider, NBA insider. He's worked with Real GM. He's worked with plenty of teams across the NBA from a cap perspective, from a num- numbers crunching perspective. This guy knows it all, and we are thrilled to be able to get some insight from him here on the Spot Track podcast. And in general, we're going to try to make him a regular guest, possibly every other week, even especially during the NBA season and as the off season things start to ramp up. But happy, thrilled to have him partnered with spot track in some fashion, at least right now. So back end, a little bit of NBA free agency, uh, team building where teams stand, you know, a lot of movement that kind of unexpected. So plenty to get to there uh, at the open here. Um, like I, you know, I've mentioned in the couple last couple of opens, I've been diving into the NFL off season for 2020 as many front offices, I'm sure are and fans you know, from what I see on Twitter. Um, something that stands out. Yes. We've talked quarterbacks, There are some notable running backs who should hit the open market. That's interesting, but is it going to (laughs) be right? I mean, you know, is there really a a good landing spot financially for many of those options? I don't know. I really don't know. There's injuries so many across the league now. The wide receiver market is sneaky interesting. So here's the names. And the reason I want to bring this up now, I know it's December 9th. You're going to start to see extensions kind of pile in here because teams want to get some of that proration into the 2020 season, right? So you give a guy a bonus, you can start to spread some cap out starting this year. The longer you wait, the less options you have. Here's the list. You know, there's, it's a big list if you go to the, the free agent tracker on spot track, but the ones at the top, notably, they, they're nice. Uh, Allen Robinson, of course, he's 900 plus yards this year. Definitely a bounce back season in Chicago on a bad Chicago offense, by the way. They haven't extended him. He's publicly asked for a contract extension, so it's not like he doesn't want to stay there. Uh, They just don't know what they're doing in terms of team building. So um, keep an eye on that one. That could be a legit WR1 to hit the market. Talking 17, 18 minimum just to get him in the door. If he hits the market, it's probably closer to 19. Speaking of which... Will, Will Fuller. Yes, he's been suspended. Yes, he's got injuries. That's a that's a baller. That's a pass catcher. That's a deep threat. 53 catches, almost 880 yards in 11 games played. You know, he averages 16 yards a catch in 2020. He's got eight touchdowns to go with that. 
it's a little bit iffy now that the uh, that the suspension carries into 2021. But my guess is Houston keeps keeps a hold of him, and they leverage his red flags to keep a price that's decent. Now they don't have a GM, and they don't have a coach. So can you go and make a big swing like that without a front a front office here? My guess is Deshaun Watson has gone to the owner and all the people involved and said, "Hey." I don't really care what happens, you know, fill in these spots, fill in this, these, this front office spots. This guy and me, we work together well. It shows when he's out here, we're better. Give him his price. Give him his money. What is that? 15 million? It might be. Maybe it goes to 16. Maybe he's in the Robert Woods, Cooper Cup kind of range. Fine, right? If he hits the market, though, I think this thing goes. I think there are, there are multiple teams in on Wolf Fuller. Green Bay, Pittsburgh, you know, teams. So Baltimore for sure. So I, I think his price probably, he's probably got more to make on the open market and his agent knows that. So keep an eye on those two for sure. That, that's the top tier. And then right underneath that, look at these names, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chris Godwin, T.Y. Hilton, Curtis Samuels having a really nice year in a lot of ways. Um, and a couple, you know, AJ Green's going to come off that franchise tag. He hasn't had a fantastic year by any means. How about this guy if he's not injured? Kenny Galladay, unrestricted free agent. That's a WR1. I mean, that's that's a, that's a number one guy there. You know, Marvin Jones is a little bit older. He's a, he's a, a nice two or three option for a team out there. Antonio Brown, I'm not sure anymore, but he's certainly going to be available if, if, if teams want him and he's active. It's a sneaky good list is my point. You know, we're hearing about a couple of teams, Rashad Higgins and Cleveland probably getting a nice little bump up there. You know, that's five, six million a year at most, if that, especially with, with Landry and Odell Beckham already under contract there. But sneaky good list. And I've only named you a few here. Honestly, there's, there's other options. Josh Reynolds had a pretty good run as the fourth option with the Rams. You know, Sammy Watkins is set to hit the open market again. Brashad Perryman would probably like to get away from the Jets unless Trevor Lawrence is there. Corey Davis had a huge bounce back year, huge after being a veritable bust in uh, in Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill has sort of resurrected his career. I mean, he's pushing for a thousand yards in 2020. So it's a strong list. And we, we don't generally see this. Generally, it's one or two wide receiver, even really weapons that hit the open market. I think all things considered and the fact that teams are, you know, know they have to shed space. You may not see as many notable contracts now versus April, for instance, you know, I think they're going to take a baseball approach to this, the front offices and kind of invisibly collude and say, Hey, we got to let everybody's price drop. Nobody go out there and be, make a rash decision and throw Allen Robinson, $150 million on March 17th. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that should happen. I think Allen Robinson should go somewhere else and make a ton of money. But my, my inclination is that it's going to feel a lot like Major League Baseball has the last couple of years where everybody's thinking, got to pinch pennies, got to pinch pennies, can't go make that splash. Or, you know, we'll take him if, he, if the price is right. But if it's not, we've got B, C, and D ready to go on $8 million contracts. You know, how much is John Ross going to cost as a complete Boston Cincinnati 
you know, can we get him one for 4 million? Can, you know, can it be Devin Funches all over again where you can get him on a minimum contract and hope he can contribute? That kind of thinking is going to be there with a lot of franchises, unfortunately. You know, Demarcus Robinson, there's some really nice middling names here where maybe with more opportunities, these guys can turn into WR2s in the right system. But the list is good. It's a good list. And uh, make sure you're taking an eye at this. Obviously, we'll have our free agent preview as we get a little closer here. But I wanted to kind of tickle that a little bit because you may see a T.Y. Hilton extension. Now, they don't know who that quarterback is going to be next year. So that would be a question to pause. But Allen Robinson has got to be at least discussing with the Bears at this point. I would imagine, you know, some of these other options are at least considering an extension right now. But it's, it's, it's possible. Who knows with Godwin? You know, that Tampa Bay system is sort of floundering right now. And Godwin's been injured. He, they're better when he's in there. There's no question. Can the Mike Evans, Chris Godwin situation exist into 2021? I think that's a very, very, that's a justifiable question right now. And if, so, if not, which one do you pick? Because it, you can argue that Chris Godwin has been the most, more important option over the past couple of seasons. Uh, under Jamison, that is, though. You know, Tom Brady, maybe not so much. Tom Brady has shown frustration with Mike Evans, but also it, it kind of feels like, hey, Tom Brady sees just how damn good that guy is, and, it's, and it frustrates him when he makes a mental error or doesn't give max effort or something. You just kind of see maybe Brady getting him in or under his wing. We've seen this before with guys in New England where you can just see that Brady cares about that guy a little bit more than other people and he wants to make sure he's getting the maximum out of him. I see that with Mike Evans and to, out of Tom Brady. You know, I'm not sure Brady and Godwin have had that relationship yet because of the, the time missed and just absolutely no practice. But I think it's probably worth at least considering the fact that one of those guys may be gone in 2021. So if Godwin hits the market, how darn good is that? Uh, I mean, that's a that's a big time option. That's a $20 million contract, in my opinion, on the open market because he's close to that really just with base valuation in our system. So there's names, you know, Fuller, who knows, is Houston going to extend Fuller while suspended? It's very, very possible uh, just to make sure that they get him under the gun here. But strong list. Keep an eye on it. Don't just think quarterbacks. I'll, I'll mention the running backs as we get a little closer because Chris Carson, Aaron Jones, it's, it's a nice list. You know, there's plenty more James Conner. Uh, it's a good list. So worth talking about for sure. But at the end of the day, are any of those guys going to get Delvin Cook money or, you know, Elvin Kamara money? I'm not positive. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys have battled injuries as, as, as you'll have with the running backs. So there's just so many reasons not to pay those players right now. That's, it's, it's tough for me to sit here and say, Hey, you know, Chris Carson's going to be a top flight free agent. If, and when he walks out of Seattle, I'd love to be able to say that. Cause I think he's a heck of a weapon, but you know, there's too many, uh, too many numbers and too many eyeballs and too many voices saying otherwise right now. So let's focus on the wide receivers, at least today, and uh, start to really push ourselves towards 2021. The extension list is coming, probably dropped in the morning here. There's plenty of wide receivers on it, as I've mentioned here. So um, teams are definitely thinking in this regard. You know, what happens in Pittsburgh is so interesting, and I can finish here on this. Ben's a $41 million cap hit, almost 40 years old they're one of the best teams in football. You know, if the cap drops and it's Ben's final year, by the way, of his, of his contract. So if you're going to keep Ben, 
Are you just going to restructure it into dummy years so that you have dead cap in 2021? Maybe. And maybe that's the safest approach because I think plan B would be you extend him. You give him a new contract, a Breeze contract or a Brady contract with some dummy years, convert that money into a signing bonus and, uh, and push as much down the road as you can, which is something Pittsburgh is, is prone to doing anyway. But do you want to have him under salary? in 2022 or 2023, you know, he's, he's kind of been on a three-year process in terms of his contracts, whereas Brady and Breeze have run more on two-year contracts. So do you just do a one-year extension with Ben Roethlisberger that gives him a 2021 salary and a 2022 salary, but then maybe two, three dummy years after that to be able to convert a signing bonus and prorate over five years? Keep an eye on that because, you know, Ben may want to retire, and then who knows? Because if Ben retires, you don't sign Juju back. You don't sign James Conner back. You got a whole bunch of players on the defensive side of the ball that you have to address. Bud Dupree, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on a couple of defensive linemen, but Mick of Fitzpatrick probably needs a contract now as well. He, is, he has outplayed his money and then some. That trade is gangbusters in favor of Pittsburgh right now. And I realize Miami got a nice pick out of it, but uh, boy, Mick of Fitzpatrick is quite a player. So you probably have to pay him and safety money is skyrocketing right now. So it's, it's a, it's a weird situation for one of the best teams in football right now, because, and and I guess new Orleans is sort of in the same boat outside of the fact that we all kind of think they might just be able to run with Taysom Hill now. And I can't believe I'm saying that because four weeks ago, that was laughable to me and you know, kudos to Sean Payton for really not ever having to address this publicly. If he knew this was the kind of player he had behind him, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying Taysom Hill's an elite quarterback, but he is certainly competent in that system. He has certainly done his due diligence to learn it, become comfortable with it, and be able to manage himself in that system, which means he's only going to improve in it. So, you know, the question of whether Breeze is coming back this year is moot. They're going to be able to manage the game with him as, with either quarterback right now. And then, you know, flip, flash forward to 2021, my assumption would be that Breeze retires and New Orleans sort of has that progression figured out. I'm not sure Pittsburgh has that. Pittsburgh is Ben Roethlisberger on the biggest cap hit in football. And if he walks away, they've got Mason Rudolph. So, and they're probably drafting 30th overall. So, uh, you know, not a great situation, not, not a good transition, I would say, out of the Ben era. So if they know something, then are they one of those teams that's looking Matt Stafford, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, et cetera, et cetera, a veteran quarterback who's going to be on the move. Ryan's Fitzpatrick for Christ's sakes, right? I mean, if, if he's going to leave Miami and he's expiring, he's on a, he's an unrestricted free agent here. Is this going to be his 77th team? You know, and in that case, do you sign back Juju on a, on a little bit of an extension? Knowing you've got Deontay Johnson, you've got James Washington, you've got options, Eric Ebron, um, really interesting. That's a team I'm closely monitoring because of just the uncertainty and how darn good they are. You know, it's coaching and front office there. So I'm going to side with whatever they decide to do, but I think a lot of it has to do with Ben Roethlisberger and hopefully that they know more than any of us do about 2021 with Ben, because it's not just a, Hey, if you want to come back, let us know. It's you got to let us know now because <laughs> You know, you're the, you're the highest cap hit in football and we can't really tolerate that for 2021 knowing what's going to happen with the league salary cap. So 
just keep an eye there. All right. Wide receivers. Keep an eye on the wide receiver list. I will certainly be evaluating that and extensions are forthcoming. There's no question about it. We're going to flip the switch now. Bring in Keith, bring in Scott, talk some NBA free agency, kind of evaluate what we had, talk about some of the numbers, talk about some of the notable signings, maybe some of the moves that are questionable that Keith just thinks maybe might be a swing and a miss. And uh, obviously some trade talk as well, because it is the NBA and they'd never disappoint. Okay. As mentioned, thrilled to have a new guest to the spot track world, Keith Smith. You can find him at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. He has contributed for Yahoo Sports, Real GM, really the entire NBA world uh, in, in many capacities. We are thrilled to have him on the show. Going to bring in Scott Allen alongside with him, our resident NBA guru. Keith, thanks for joining the show. Welcome to the Spot Trek world, and I uh, can't wait to get some of your thoughts here today. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to uh, get, get going with you guys and get into some fun stuff. You bet. We're going to pick your brain because it's uh, it's loaded with numbers, which is what we're trying to spit out here as much as possible. <laughs> uh, Scott and I kind of put together a little agenda for you here, as, as you might expect, and I'm sure it's nothing you haven't talked about already. You do. Uh, you make your rounds kind of every day on this stuff. Really, it's just a, a, a recap of of the NBA offseason that was, and I think we can say was at this point because it's pretty thin picking from here out, right? Outside of that gigantic James Harden trade that may happen, but uh, we've pretty much settled. The dust has settled a little bit here with the NBA offseason. So right out of the gate here, uh, you know, let's start with the negatives. My mom always said, start with the worst and finish strong. Um, you know, you know, which free agent contracts just still have you scratching your head at this point? It's hard to go anywhere, but right to the, to the biggest one that was handed out. And that's Gordon Hayward. I, that, that one, you know, was definitely a surprise. I, I think Hayward was better than a lot of people realized he was last year. He was 17.7 rebounds, four assists as the Celtics fourth option. And that, that's, you know, those are pretty good numbers for a fourth guy. So you can easily project him if he's healthy to, you know, 20 points, eight, nine rebounds and, you know, five or six assists. So the challenge comes in though, is that if he's healthy part and, and he said right before the NBA restart that he was still having kind of constant pain in that uh, leg that, that he broke opening night with the Celtics, his first game ever. Then that's concerning to me when you gave a guy an average annual value of $30 million a year. That is really, really tough because if he is not able to make it healthy through the course of that entire uh, contract, that's going to be a big, bad number on the Hornets books going forward. It's tough to argue. <laughs> I mean, the number, <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of, I prefaced with a, with a podcast right before the free agent started. And I said, if somebody pays him $30 million, the NBA is broken. And I quickly put my foot in my mouth on that one because it was, it got ugly fast. You're right. It's, it's all about the injury. You know, I, I, you do a lot of kind of, kind of watching the tape and, and understanding the team process as a whole. Is he even a good fit for that Charlotte team right now, Keith? I think he actually is. That That's the interesting thing. I think they needed someone who could uh, really make plays with the ball in his hand. I think Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier did a nice nice job last year. They, Graham really uh, you know, came out of nowhere. I thought he should have been the most improved player. And then Rozier played really well. But the challenge is those guys are score first, uh, small guard. So you they needed a playmaker with side. Now they drafted one in LaMelo Ball. And we'll ultimately see what he comes into. But this tends to be somebody who takes 
good say as a rookie point guard usually takes you a couple of years to really get comfortable and get fully you know, great ingrained in the NBA. But I think with Hayward, what he brings in is a guy who has size. He's a really good passer. He can also score. So I think he does fit in well with that team. My question is, is that fit worth $30 million a year when all it's really going to do is kind of push you from, you know, maybe that 12th team in the conference to in the mix for that 7 to 10 in the play-in game? That That's the question I wonder is, you know, is that worth $30 million or not? All right. It's a little less than 30, but Keith, how does Marcus Morris keep sure. getting paid money? <laughs> um, <laughs> when you give up a first round pick for a guy, you, you kind of feel like you're, you're stuck. Especially once they lost uh, uh, Montrezl Harrell, they had to pay him uh, because they couldn't, there was no way to replace him if he left. So yeah, that's how he's going to keep getting paid. That's crazy. I mean, that was just, and that was kind of later in the game and that came out of nowhere and it was just an absolute eye popper, but we've seen it before, especially with Los Angeles teams. Scott, speaking of which the Lakers made at least a few smaller moves, a couple of nice moves, complimentary speaking, any of the numbers stand out for you? Does it kind of feels like KPC got a LeBron contract, doesn't it? Like LeBron kind of went in there and said, Hey, this is my guy. You got to pay him some money, right? Yeah, you think you'd think that's the case. Um, you know, same same agent, I believe, and then they brought in Harrell at uh, using the non-tax mid-level, and then they brought in uh, Wesley Matthews at the biannual. So they brought in some some uh, I, I think depth that makes them better from what they were even last year. Um, we'll see how they can gel. Um, Keith, what do you think about the Lakers? I think they are certainly better in the regular season. Uh, I think you're going to see, especially in, let's call it the first month, month and a half of the year, I think LeBron and Anthony Davis especially are going to sit quite a bit. I think, you know, you might see them play, you know, every other game or something like that, or, you know, take every third game off, something along those lines. Um, so their, their depth, you know, needed to be good. And I think they did a pretty good job adding depth. My question is, Marcus Hall, he was kind of <laughs> done by the time we get yeah. to the playoffs. Uh, Montrezl Harrell, he couldn't finish games right. for the Clippers when they were really looking for not a, not even just a fifth guy. They were looking for third, fourth, and fifth guy. And he couldn't even be that guy. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, he's had his issues late in games. So, so I wonder if they are a team that looks so really good in the regular season with those guys, but then maybe kind of painted themselves a little bit into a corner here when it comes to the playoffs because – the other challenge is they're right up against the hard cap, and they're going to have trouble adding any kind of salary at all in trades in season. And they've been a team that has kind of always tinkered uh, the last few years and making in-season deals to try and improve their roster. And I just don't know that that's going to be possible for them or not this year. It's, a, it's an excellent point because you're right. LeBron and Camp like to tinker, especially if something's not going well. And that point guard position is thin. It just really is. Um, let's stay on the Lakers. Keith, I want your thoughts on the LeBron Anthony Davis extension situation. Uh, were you at least a little surprised that Davis went the full max, the full five years? I I was a little surprised, but once LeBron uh, extension kind of went hand in hand with that, it made a lot more sense to me. I I think what that set up is now the bridge is there. Uh, LeBron will be the the man for the next uh, couple years you know, two, two years at least. And then that third year, you'll start to see that handoff, I think, really be solidified. And then they've got their post-LeBron future 
uh, well in hand with Anthony Davis. I think even though, you know, by then he'll be in what year, you know, 10, 11, 12, um, you know, towards the end of that contract, I think it's year 12, he'll, he'll be going into. Uh, I think, you know, he still should be, you know, a very good player, one of the top players in the league. So it doesn't, you know, fully surprise me that he carried that out the full five years. We had some conversation back and forth about Malik Beasley on Minnesota. And one of the things that you noticed that happened was he, um, he received a signing bonus, which are extremely rare. Um, why, why don't we see more teams giving signing bonuses? And I, I believe you said in an article that you didn't think Beasley was a, a very good, uh, valued free agent signing. Um, what are your thoughts to expand upon that? Yeah, so the to the first part, the signing bonus, it's a little weird because I, you know, and I don't fully you know know the way it works in the NFL. I know you guys know that a lot better than me, but in the NBA, how it works is you take in Beasley's case, you got a three hundred thousand dollars signing bonus, but then it just gets spread evenly over the first three years of the life of that contract. So in that case, a lot of teams, what they do is if they have the ability, which the Wolves did, it's just they. It's, amounts to the same thing is they just give it to them in straight salary. Now, in Beasley's case, he gets it up front, so he would much you know, rather have it that way than have to wait you know, a couple additional years for the other 200000 So I get it there. It's, it's just kind of a you know, nice thing to do. Why I didn't love that contract is this team has now, it feels like, 15 two-guards. And you know, well, what do you do with all those guys? It's, <laughs> You know, they, 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 you just drafted Anthony Edwards, who you're hoping, you know, should be really, really good for you since you drafted him first overall, even though I know this was a weird kind of draft. You drafted Jared Culver the year before. I know some people think he can be more of a point guard than he is a, a two guard, but I haven't really seen enough to prove that to me. You drafted Josh Koji the year before that. He might actually be the best of that bunch right now because at least he plays defense. And then there's a question of, is D'Angelo Russell better off the ball than he is on the ball? And he traded for Ricky Rubio. So, you know, I kind of look at it, and it's, it's a super deep group of two guards there. Well, why did you need to pay Malik Beasley, you know, an average of about $15 million a season over the next four years to, you know, have him be, you know, what's he going to be now? I think what they did it for is now that the, that's a, still a pretty decent tradable contract when he's passed these legal issues he's going through right now, you can easily see that contract being traded. But I, I just I didn't love it because if they can't move that in a, in a trade, now I just I think you're too well stocked at really one position. And none of those guys has the real size to necessarily play a lot at the three. And none of them, I think, can really play, you know, move over to the one other than Russell. I feel like we've repeatedly had this conversation about Minnesota. Wasn't there a string where they, they drafted point guards like six years in a row? It, it just felt like they... Yeah, that was when they had Rubio the first time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. And they passed on Steph Curry to do it, too. Oh, um, oh, oh only that, right? Just that. Them. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All exactly. right. I got to ask this in the best way possible because I'm, I have to think, and maybe you agree, that Christian Wood is one of the sneaky best free agent signings of the offseason. Um especially yeah. landing in Houston. He's now a bit of a, a safety net in, you know, in if, if, and when they lose James Harden, this kid can shoot the ball, but I'm going to flip the switch on you here. What is Detroit doing? 
<laughs> I, I like your nice setup for how nice the Christian Whitfield was. <laughs> yeah, well, what is Detroit doing? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to spend all this money on guys who kind of play the same position, why didn't you just re-sign Christian Wood? Yes. Now, yes. that presumes also, did did Wood want to be there? That you know that, That's a question that you know needs to be asked, right? It always takes two to tango on that side. But, you know, I it's, with Detroit, I, I actually just did – I uh, radio hit right before we started recording. And that was the same question is what in the world are the Pistons doing? And my, my thing is I want to take a little bit of a patient and bigger picture approach here. We all got our jokes off when it looked like they were, you know, signing and trading for every center possible. And then Troy Weaver, you know, through the media uh, day process, even kind of joked of, you know, how much he loves centers, but now that it's shaken out, you know, some of those guys were moved on and other deals and, you know, Dwayne Dedman was waved and stretched and, and those kind of things. But it's just, a, I, I don't, the one that really gets me that I mostly don't understand is Mason Plumley paying, you know, 25 million over three years for him. That is something that to me doesn't make a lot of sense because you can get backup bigs in this league at the minimum. We saw a lot of guys go for the minimum or just above that, that are pretty good players, maybe even a little bit better than Plumley. And I look at it as spending money on a backup center in the NBA when you're not a good team is like having a really good closer when you're a bad baseball team. <laughs> it's just a luxury you don't need to have. You know, well, why, you know, that, that's why, you know, you, you don't want to do that. That's not where you want to be investing resources. Outside of that one, all the rest of the stuff they did, I, I don't really dislike all that much. I, I think, you know, trading for DeLon Wright is okay. I, I love. Wayne Ellington at the minimum is pretty good. I thought, you know, they did pretty well in the draft with what they did in some of their trades there. And I don't, the Jeremy Grant contract, you know, maybe that's a little bit of an overpay, but if he really can blossom into doing more in a bigger role, um, which sounds like the Nuggets offered him the exact same deal, but he just wanted a bigger role. I, I think, you know, he's really, you know, somebody who I think he can really come into his own. He, he's pretty good and easy guy to build around. It's not, you know, such a ridiculous number. It's just that plumbly one that really, really confuses me. You mentioned Don Wright, and and I was going to go there anyway. Did Dallas give up too much this offseason? Or do you like where they landed with, you know, basically Luca running the whole show, and now he's got Josh Richardson as his sidekick, who's maybe a little bit easier to play with versus somebody like a Steph, uh, Seth Curry, I should say, uh, who's more, who's maybe too much off the ball. Did they do enough? Did they do just right? Where, where do you live with the Mavericks right now, Keith? Yeah, I, it's it's one of the teams I want to see how how it you know looks on the court because I get the thought process behind it when they got into the postseason and the Clippers really kind of amped up their defense. Mm-hmm. If Luca wasn't creating offense, nobody else could because Seth Curry, for what a great shooter he is, he can't do anything if he's got to take more than a couple of dribbles. He's not his brother. In that respect, you know, Steph can, you know, dribble himself into shots and create offense. Steph has really got to play off other guys for that. I think that's where by getting Josh Richardson, you have a guy, you know, when the track comes on Luca and you get that ball swung around and Josh Richardson has it, he can make a play off the bounce. He can get himself into the paint, either score, he can find that next pass and kick out. So, so I understand that, but it works so well with all that shooting, uh, spreading the floor around Luka Doncic. That's what I wonder if Dallas is going to get in the se- into the season. And I kind of wonder if we're going to be watching them, you know, sometime in, let's say, you know, late February, we're more about a month out 
from the NBA trade deadline, which sounds like this year it's going to be in late March. Um, are they you know, one of the teams we're hearing? They're looking for another shooter. There, are they trying to find somebody? The good news is they've got enough um, easily tradable guys that they should be able to go get one. And there's always going to be a shooter that comes available on the market. And then the other hope you have is maybe Tyrell Terry, who is one of their second round picks. Maybe he can develop into being a guy who can step into the lineup and do some things because shooting is one of the things he does best. Let's go out to the East. We saw some signings where teams decided to retain their free agents in Fred Van Vliet, uh, Bertans in Washington, Joe Harris in Brooklyn. Um, what do you think of those signings? And I mean, were any of them overpaid or do you think they're, it was just about right for the teams that were keeping them? Yeah, I think the Van Vliet contract feels just about right that, that, that getting him uh, at the number they did, which is a little over $21 million this year, and then it takes a dip uh, next year before going back up. That was to kind of maximize their cap position for next offseason. They clearly, they're, they're one of the teams that's dreaming Giannis, and every day that goes by that he doesn't sign the Supermax, we, we, you know, the, if it gets a little more realistic that he might be there. So I, I think that, that contract was perfectly fine. I thought he might even get a little bit more because I thought the Knicks or the Pistons might get involved and really forced the Raptors to, to pony up to keep Van Vliet. So that one I'm okay with. The Bertons one at first, it kind of looks like, wow, that's a lot of money, $80 million over um, you know five years. So about 16, or, you know, exactly 16 million average. But that last year is only partially guaranteed. And that's, that's important. It's only 5 million guaranteed. And that's if he picks up, uh, you know, his player option in that last year. Well, it's an early termination option, but amounts to, you know, the, the same thing in the grand scheme of things. So I think that one's okay because shooting is always at a premium in, in the league. I think he should fit in well, even now that it's Westbrook. Instead of Wall, I think he makes sense there, and I think that'll be, um, you know, something good. I just wrote today on a piece that went up for Real GM about how um, yeah, you can envision, you know, Berton being the trailer on the break as Westbrook leads it down and Beal spaces out to the wing. Bertans is the guy who's left wide open, and now that he's willing to shoot from, you know, 30, 32 feet away, you know, he, he's bombed away. So I don't mind that one. The Joe Harris one, that one's a little tricky. Because I love Joe Harris, and I think this was one where the Nets, they couldn't lose him because he's going to be really important. You need guys who can play without the ball in their hands when you have ball-dominant guys like Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, even their second-unit guys in Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert. You need somebody who can you know, really do things without the ball in his hands, and I think that's what Harris does. But I, I worry a little bit when he's making almost $20 million, just shy of it, in four years from now, is that contract going to be one where we're looking at that and saying, boy, is, you know, it was that good value for Joe Harris or, you know, does he you know, go the kind of the Kyle Corver route and he's playing, you know, five years, even beyond that, he's still fine. You know, if he is, then, then great. But that, that one's a little more questionable. What do you think of all the moves that Atlanta has done? I mean, we've seen them do some signing trades and, you know, bringing in some some vet players. Uh, they, they've probably been one of the most active teams this offseason. What are your thoughts with them? And are, are they a playoff team with everything that they've done? Yeah, they're certainly going to be be right there. And, then, you know, the important thing is I, I don't consider teams 9 and 10 to be playoff teams. 
but that's all you got to get to if you want to be in the mix to be a playoff team. So, so they, if they're not right around that, then something went horribly wrong uh, with this season for them. But I think a couple things with the Hawks was, one, such a young roster led by Trey Young, John Collins, and then they, they had uh, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. Those guys needed some vets around them. And they last season had one of the worst benches in the entire league. It was just brutal. When any of their main guys came off the floor, it really turned into a mess, especially if it was Trey Young. So finding a good quality point guard, uh, they, they, when they uh, traded for Jeff Teague last year, that finally shored things up a little bit on the second unit but they needed to get somebody even better than him. And I think they did that with the combination of Rajon Rondo and uh, Chris Dunn. I think those two guys are going to come in and they'll do quite well. And then sounds like Danilo Gallinari is going to come off the bench to start it off. I like the draft pick of Onyeka Kongwu. I think he's going to be the third main big man in that grouping with Capella and Colin. Capella himself is almost like a new addition because he's never played um, with these guys. So I think that's a pretty good one. And then I think Bogdanovich, really what this team was missing was kind of similar to, to what we said about the Mavericks was you could get the ball out of Trey Young's hand. They had a lot of trouble creating offense because nobody could do much off the dribble. And Bogdanovich is a guy who can do a lot of things. I, I don't know how many people, you know, especially on the East Coast, were staying up late to watch Sacramento Kings games. But this guy's good. He's tough. All he's done his whole life is take big shots. So I, I like what the Hawks did. One, one worry I have for them, though, is they might not have one or two guys too many. Um, and that sounds like a weird thing and maybe a really good problem to have. But that means every single night, Boyd Pierce is going to have to sit down and have a tough conversation with somebody as long as they're all healthy because they're not going to play. And that, that can be tough on some guys. And that, that, that's the thing, especially if it's a young player who's still in their development curve, that can be really hard. So I'm going to be interested to watch and see how that shakes out. I've had many nights like that with my fantasy team. <laughs> i got too many damn good guys. All right, let's finish maybe on the, I don't know, second most important NBA conversation right now, and it's Giannis. I'd, I'd, I'd probably guess Harden's the, the most talked about conversation, and we can leave that one alone right now because, well, let's just, let me just ask quick rapid fire, Keith. Is that on hold, or do you think there's really something brewing right now? Um, I, I think it's kind of on hold. Yeah. I think you know matching that salary is so tough because it really means sending for most teams three or four players out. To, to match salary in the trade. Plus then you get to match good players because the Rockets are saying they want two, two, at least two young players under team control. And then they want a whole bunch of picks. I keep saying after Drew Holiday, the Bucks gave up every pick they could under the sun for Drew Holiday. The Rockets have no reason to you know accept anything less. So I think that one's going to drag on for a little bit. Yeah. So Milwaukee, have they offered the Supermax? And the reason I ask that way, Keith, is – once he signs it, he's now trade restricted, right? And if he's not going to stay, I, I realize signing it makes people think he's going to stay, but I think we all know otherwise. Everybody's tradable pretty much at any, at any point in time. As long as there's not a restriction, anybody can go. And anybody, anybody now can demand to go if they're worth you know enough. So you know, there's nothing safe with Milwaukee, even if he signs that contract. So do, do they want him to sign the Supermax right now, or do you think everybody wants to wait and make sure that they're going to win ball games first? No, I think they clearly would love for him to do nothing but sign 
you know, a five year supermax deal with no option at the end of it. I think think that would be the best possible outcome for Milwaukee. He's a he's a generational superstar for them. They they mortgage their future with that Drew Holiday yeah. trade in every attempt to show, you know, hey, we, we want to win here. So I don't think there's any way they, they want anything but as far as I know, that's you know, it's there. It's on the table whenever he wants to sign it. I don't know if you guys have heard the the story about how Chris Middleton and um uh Pat Connaughton uh, kept giving him pens on his birthday the other day because they, they were like, hey, here's it. You know, and Giannis even said today, it was really funny the first time they gave me a couple pens. He said, and once I got what it was about, he said, once, you know, when we're into the 25th pen coming from them, it stopped being kind of as funny. Um, you know, which, yeah, you know, the way, way to, you know, drive that one into the ground, fellas. But I, I think, you know, with the boxes, they, they want him to sign that because you're absolutely right, you know. All that does is that adds a one-year trade restriction on, and then we can have, if he's unhappy a year from the day he signs it, we can have this whole conversation of I want out. It's the NBA. That's just, you know, fortunately how it works. Or fortunately, if if you're someone who loves, you know, player empowerment and movement, then then you're okay with it. But yeah, they they've offered it. They they're hopeful. You know, he'll sign it anytime here coming up. But you know, it's getting to be one of those things that we're down to today's the ninth when we're recording this. There's only 12 days left to sign an extension, and if he doesn't do it um, by the by the end of the day on the 21st, now if you're the Bucks, you're in a really scary position because that means you better be right in the mix to win the championship, or you run the risk of losing him in the off season. So it came out the uh, yesterday or the day before that uh, Steph Curry's been talking to the Golden State Warriors about possible extension, and we're talking like 49, 52, 56 million dollar <laughs> salaries. Um I mean it, with the way the the uh warriors are constructed right now and the tax bill that they're going to have to pay, I, I get that the extension is uh years out, but I mean is, is that a great move for Golden State to try to lock that up now or should they hold off not knowing where the, you know, the cap and new CBA is going to be when that extension even kicks in? Yeah, I think, too, you got to look at the fact that Steph is now, he's 32, which that makes me feel incredibly old that, that he's, you know, 32 and, you know, going into year 12 in the NBA, I don't, you know, I still feel like he was still at Davidson a week ago beating, you know, teams in the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, it's one of those things, it's really tough. I think you'd rather get him not for the max amount you can pay him because, you know, by the end of that contract, he's not a very big guy. He's had some injury issues. Um, that starts to be one of those ones where, boy, do I want to be paying this guy, you know, 50 plus million, you know, when he's in his late thirties, so that, that starts to become a real questionable thing for me. So I think what you're, you're looking at there though, is he really, you know, re completely revitalized, you know, I, I even maybe vitalized, um, that franchise, he, he, you know, really, you know, became everything for them and everything they do was built around him and, and he led to them winning those titles as much as anybody else. And, you know, now I think you might also look at it and say, hey, we're already on the hook for Clay Thompson for $40 million. You know, for a couple of those years, we could extend Steph. We might as well extend Steph, and then we'll, we'll figure it out, you know, when we after that and, and get there and, you know, try to keep this window, you know, pride open as long as we can. So I get that side of it, too. And I think there's also a very real realization that if he finishes out this current contract, there's going to be teams that'll say, Hey, we'll do this. You know, what is hometown Charlotte Hornets say, Hey, you know, we've got Hayward on the books, but 
everything else is pretty clean in 2022. You want to come home and finish out your career there. So that's going to be something you got to balance as well. That's well said. Yeah, we've actually somewhat joked about that, but it's, you know, it's the NBA. So anything is possible. And that is certainly a possibility. Yeah, it kind of feels like maybe that was almost like a Kobe contract, right? Just throw him the max at the end of the end of what could be his career and uh, they'll figure it out from there. Keith, this has been outstanding and uh, can't wait to do it again. We're going to have plenty of more nerdy questions for you. Dive a little deeper into, you know, max contracts and sign and trades and all these elements of the NBA that stand out and kind of make it unique, but really, and maybe, maybe you can shed some quick light on this to finish us off. Is there any sport that has maybe a more interesting off season than in season than the NBA? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I, you know, when I was a kid, it used to kind of be major league baseball, but now that baseball has stretched out, it feels like their off season takes, you know, until five minutes before the first pitch happens, you know, it, you know, these guys are, you know, signing deep into spring training and the like. And, and it's funny too, because in a normal year, everybody knows NBA free agency starts July 1st, right? Everybody knows that. I bet if you ask even people who consider themselves to be pretty big baseball fans, when baseball free agency starts last week, when? I don't know. <laughs> you know yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, five minutes after the World Series ends. But, you know, uh, you know, March, it feels weird to even try to come up with an answer to that one. So, yeah, the NBA offseason, for a lot of people, I think it's just as much fun. I think the other thing, too, why it makes it fun is I love football and I love baseball. But the NBA, because the rosters are so small, and on a lot of these teams, you're talking eight, nine guys who are really, really matter. When you make that big move for one guy, you can really start to play with it in your mind, envision it. I mean, now we have a whole generation of people who just go, they fire up 2K, they plug it in there, and they start looking at what it might look like on the court. And I think that that allows you to really get excited uh, for these, you know, off-season maneuvers. And then it's, it's we've done it too. I mean, look, we just had a whole conversation about what happens with Giannis. Instead of talking about him trying to lead the Bucks to a title, we're talking about does he sign or leave, and that's you know, we're part of the, the problem. You're right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's a problem because I I like it just as much as the next guy. We're, we're part of the conversation. Let's put it that. All way. right, there you go. <laughs> Let's keep it going. I appreciate this conversation. I know Scott does too. We will have you back yeah, as soon as great. humanly possible, Keith. Thanks so much for your time. Absolutely, thank you guys. I appreciate you all. Stay safe. Thanks, you. All right. My thanks to Scott Allen and Keith Smith. Always good catching up with uh, in-depth basketball information, insider basketball information. We're going to have Keith back soon, more of a regular guest on the Spot Trek podcast as we have plenty of questions that come up with the luxury tax and extensions and trades and how things work. Just a more deep dive, integral part of the NBA finances. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S-P-O-T-R-A-C for 40% off your first year subscription today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. 